Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking with someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And today my guest is Marianne Asher Chapman uh, from Holt Summit, Missouri, and we met uh, in front of the post office down in Jeff City while I was doing a peace vigil. And we started talking, and I said, I, I, you need to be on my radio show. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Dick. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm fine. Good to be here. Well, great. Thank you for inviting me, by the way. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You have a lot of stories to tell our audience. I guess the one that comes up to the top because you have a license plate that says M.O. Missing, I believe. And you're mm -hmm. a, the co-founder of an organization called Missouri Missing. That's right. I think you could just uh, start telling us about what that is and why it is and how it is uh, as much as you feel led to. Okay. Um, Missouri Missing, we are a uh, 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization. I co-founded this organization with a woman by the name of Peggy Florence in 2007, August of 2007. Missouri Missing, what we do is we offer resources, awareness, education, for families that have loved ones that go missing. We will create flyers for their missing person. We will hold vigils, anything to get awareness for that person because they really need help. And uh, these people are thrust into a, a world of, of just pure hell is what it is. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have no answers and they are frantic and they need help. We work closely with the Missouri State Highway Patrol, and uh, we have very good rapport with them. Every day, I check to see the numbers of our missing in, in the state, and it changes daily. And today's number, which is the really uh, very unusual, normally we have around 400 missing juveniles, 600 missing adults, that's never been solved. But as of today, we're looking at 606 missing juveniles and 562 adults, which is 1,168 people. And those are the people that are listed with the Missouri State Highway Patrol. And that, that means that these are the people that there has been a missing persons report filed for which when I talk to families, which I do every day pretty much, the first thing I tell them to do is get that report filed. It's, it's just essential you get it filed. And once it's filed and the family gives permission, then we will make the flyer. It's, it's just a criteria that we have. And um, so it, it's pretty important. If you don't mind, I'll just tell you my personal story and how Missouri Missing came to be. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, it started in October of 2003. It was actually November 1st, actually, of 2003, 
that I was having a birthday party for my son's uh, little girl, her fifth birthday. And we were having it here on Holt Summit. And um, we had invited quite a few people over and several children. Anyway, my daughter, Angie, and her husband, Mike, were to come, of course. They live in Morgan County, about a, about an hour and a half away, in a little community known as Ivy Bend. And um, Angie had told me a couple of weeks beforehand exactly what she had bought for the child, and uh, right down to what the gift bag looked like. Uh, so she was very excited about coming. It, and this was Samantha's first birthday, uh, fifth birthday. So um, they were late getting here, I thought, and I kept checking. And back then in 2003, neither of them had yet to get a cell phone because mainly down in that community, there was no service down there. And, but they had a house phone. And um, the day just started progressing and, and she and Mike just weren't here. So I kept calling and I was worried. And I thought, well, maybe they had car trouble or something. And then I got kind of mad. And um, so by five o'clock, all the guests were leaving, except my son, the baby, and my husband. And so around five, I called back and I said, look, Ange, I don't know what's going on, but if I don't hear from you tonight, I'm going to be on your doorstep really early in the morning. So about two hours later, uh, it was dark out, but I saw... The Cadillac, it was a big old long Cadillac. It pulled in to the driveway. I could see Angie's um, two dogs were in the back seat. She had two big dogs. And I thought, well, I wonder what's going on. So I, I went and opened the front door and Angie's husband, Mike, was standing there. And so I, I said, well, it's about time. What happened to you guys? And he stepped inside and I looked past him and I, I said, well, where's Angie? And he sat down in the rocking chair and he said, Angie's gone. And I said, what do you mean Angie's gone? He said, she's gone now. He said, I think she might've ran away with another man. I knew this, this was insane. But I said, well, um, Angie and I talked on the phone all the time. Angie and I were very, very close. I said, um, and she had given me absolutely no indication of anything like that. I knew that. Her marriage was kind of on the rocks at the time. So, but I still, I, I said, well, who is this man? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, why would you say that? And he said, well, I, I just assumed that she must have ran away with another man. I came home uh, one week ago and she was gone. I said, well, Blossom and Penny, her dogs out in the car. She, and she would have never left those dogs. Those were her kids. And she didn't go out to get the mail without her dogs, period. I mean, she's never been here without her dogs or anywhere. So um, I said, well, what did she take? And he said, well, she didn't take anything, really. I said, she didn't take money? He said, no, she didn't take anything. She just left. He said, oh, but there was that one big picture on the wall. She took it. And what he was referring to was, and she had made this big collage and it was very detailed. It was really pretty impressive. She was a pretty good artist. And um, she had framed it. And it was the size of a poster. It was hanging on the wall in this trailer that they lived in in Ivy Bend. 
I said, why in the world would she take that big old cumbersome thing and not take her dogs? He said, I don't know, but that's the only thing that's missing. He gave us some really bad vibes, but he stayed for a little bit and he left. And um, the next morning I was in Morgan County at in the Versailles Sheriff's Department and uh, I came to file a missing persons report. They said, oh, no, she probably did just run away. I said, I don't know that. I said, I want to file a report. Had to fight and argue with them. And I was highly intimidated by them because I didn't know how to do any of this. And I'd never had known anything, anything whatsoever like this. But um, finally, I guess to shut me up, they allowed me to file the report. So I would call them every day and ask if they had heard anything. And every day they would say no, you know, and they honestly just didn't care. They didn't. And um, so about 10 days later, I got a postcard in the mail and it was postmarked from Harrison, Arkansas. It looked like Angie's writing. Didn't look like her normal writing. It looked like it was quite strained, but it didn't resemble her writing. And it said, Mom, Gary and I are on our way to Texas to visit his family. We'll write when we are settled. Love, Angie. That's exactly what it said. And so I thought, oh, my God, I guess she did run away with another man. And I was actually glad because I was I'd had, you know, uh, more than a week of the very worst thoughts, because when you don't know anything, your mind can do everything, you know. And so I went I took it to the sheriff's department there and they closed the case. And then I sat there for many nights. I sat up all night and I looked at it in so many different ways and um I, I I just turned it backward. I went upside down. I knew it wasn't her normal writing. I decided maybe she didn't write it. So I took it back. I went back up there and I fought and argued and they did finally reopen her case. Well, I told my husband after that, I said, uh, let's go down to Angie's old place and visit Mike. And uh, I was keeping him in my pocket. And we always loved Mike. He was a very, very unusual, odd, introverted man, but I kept him in my pocket because I knew something was wrong and I needed him to be on my side, I thought. So I said, I had heard that he had bought another truck. So I told my um, my husband, Tommy, I said, Tommy, I want to get in there. I want to look and see in her closet, where's her clothes? I want to see, is her journal still there? Because she wrote all the time. And um, I said, and when we get there, will you please just keep him outside? Have him put the hood up on his truck, show a great interest in the truck. And so he did. And I said, I needed to use the bathroom. So I went on in. But, you know, I never even made it to the bathroom because as soon as I stepped in, I noticed that on the wall where that collage hung, about a four by five feet piece of drywall had been screwed in there so the wall had been replaced there and then there was a linoleum on the floor and about a, a three three or four foot square um, different colored linoleum had been screwed in there too 
So I didn't know what to think of it, but I knew it was something important. You know, I don't really remember what happened much more that day, but we went home. And um, I, I mean, I was thrust into a world that I was just, I just was losing my mind. I was, I felt like I was going to break down. She was 28 years old. She's still my child. If I was 100, that would make her 80. She'd still be my baby, you know? So um, it was forever and ever. I Months and months, I would call and I would ask, is there any news? Is there any news? And nothing. And um, I mean, I was very suspicious of her husband, but they wouldn't hear of anything about it. So um, about a year and a half into it, I got a call from the Montel Williams show in New York, and they had just read a little tiny snippet in the Jefferson New, uh, City News Tribune about my daughter being missing. And they asked if I would come and tell my story. Well, of course, you know, this is like winning the lottery. So I flew out to New York and spent three days there. And I got to show her picture on national TV. And I told the story that I knew of it at that time. And um, I didn't point my finger at anybody or anything. I was just hoping somebody would have news and could help me. It was then that the uh, local news stations, the TV stations, the newspaper, some of the radio stations were broadcasting that that Friday at so-and-so time, a local woman will be on national TV show about her missing daughter and all that. So I got a lot of buzz about that. But that was the day that Mike Garnell left. And he, his stepmother said, he left with his clothes tumbling in the dryer and nobody heard from him for weeks and weeks. Nobody could find him. So I thought to myself, okay, I'll file a missing persons report on him. This is my son-in-law. So I went and did that. And it wasn't long after that, that a friend of mine, a reporter here in uh, the News Tribune, back then, Revae Edwards is her name, really good writer. She knew of a forensic handwriting analysis lady out in Texas by the name of Peggy Walla. And she said, let's get Peggy Walla to analyze the postcard. So we sent a copy of the postcard, a copy of my writing and Mike Arnell's writing and all that. And in pretty short order, we got the results back that Angie did not write the card that Mike wrote it himself, and he postmarked it from the other state. So I took that in to the sheriff's department, and it was only then that, and it was nearly five years at that point that she had been missing, that um, they decided to call Mike Arnell a person of interest in the disappearance of his wife. But that's as far as they would go with it, but at least it was that. It wasn't very long after that the sheriff's department got a call from Biloxi, Mississippi, and um, it was a military base down there, and a civilian had applied for a job on their base, and they did a background check, and they saw that he was he was listed as a missing person out of Missouri, which is not against the law to be a missing person, but it was a red flag for them. Mm -hmm. 
So since the police had just learned that he, he was the one that wrote the postcard, they went and got him. They brought him back. And um, very soon afterward, he confessed that he had killed Angie. And he said that she and him had gotten into a fight, an argument I don't know what about, but they were in an argument. He said uh, it was on the deck. It was a very small little deck. It was about four feet off the off the ground. And he said he didn't remember whether she just fell or he pushed her, but one way or another, she fell off the deck. He said he she happened to hit her head on a rock, and he, she, he said she died instantly. So he said he uh, sat with her for a while, and that would have been October the 25th. And he sat with her for a while, and then... Um, you know, personally, I would have went in the house and called 911 and said there'd been an accident in my home. He didn't do that. Then after a while, he wrapped her up in a tarp and he put her in the car and he said he was going to drive to the sheriff's department, which is about 25 miles away, to say his wife had died and she was in the car. But he said he got halfway there and he changed his mind. So he went back to the house. And he took her out of the car and he put her in the back of his pickup truck with the canoe and he went to a nearby dock and he put her in the boat and he rowed four miles upstream in the night and he was going to put her on an island. That when he reached the island, that the boat turned over and she sank into the shore, which was mud. And he said he got out and the mud went up to his knees but he couldn't pull her out of the mud. So he just left her there and he went home. That's his account of it. So they charged him with five felonies. The first one being murder and then a couple manslaughters and then something about crossing state lines uh, with some evidence or something. But then shortly after that, they decided to offer him a plea bargain if he would take them to the body. Well, he took him there, but she wasn't there because she had never been put there. But he wanted them to believe that, believe his story. But they didn't find any remains, but they let him have the plea bargain anyway. So they did a change of venue, and we went to Laclede County in Lebanon, Missouri. And there was a, a court date, and it was about less than a two-hour thing. And um, in the court... I had impact statements. My sisters came. We begged the judge to give us more time to look for her remains. I'm certain if we ever found her skull, we, you would see she died way differently with massive head trauma right in that trailer. And I believe her uh, tissue, blood, brains, I believe they hit that wall and that's why it was replaced. But anyway, the judge... She just went ahead and went with, um, she was a nice woman, but uh, her hands were tied pretty much, I think. But the DA wanted to stay with the plea bargain. So he was given seven years and he served exactly four years. And he's been out for many, many years. And to this day, we've never found Angie's remains. I don't doubt that she's gone. See, the thing of it is though, something that really hurts the most and not the most, but a lot, is the fact that even though he admitted that he killed her, 
they needed physical evidence. And the physical evidence was literally her body. And since he was so successful in hiding her body, he basically got away with it. And, and he walked our criminal justice system down a path that they should be ashamed of themselves. Anyway, but one of the hardest things for me is the fact that my daughter died of domestic violence. And all of my young life, I had 20 years of horrific domestic violence on me. My children grew up seeing this, right? And I don't know how I physically survived it. I To this day, I just don't, I guess it's just, I don't know. But anyway, let's see. My point is, um, my mother and father, my mother never had that. I never even saw my mother and father fight, ever. There was nothing like that in my home. So, you know, when I was whisked away at a young age and I lived in another state, I didn't tell my mother about it because I was ashamed and I was embarrassed and all that. So mom didn't have any way of knowing. And even though Angie didn't tell me either, it's, it's unforgivable to me that somehow I couldn't have seen that. That's the hard part for me because I should have seen that and I should have rescued her before he killed her. I just never saw it. I didn't. I, I only learned it later. All the times I've been down there, hundreds of times with the shovel in my hand. I dig holes. I look for Angie to this day. I'm getting ready to go again very soon. I've talked to people down there so many times. And when I refer to her, and show them I still have flyers and everything. She's still missing. They, I've heard I've heard more than one. Oh, that girl that always had the black eyes. Things like that. Hmm. It's really hard. Hmm. So back to Missouri Missing. You know, Angie had been missing three and a half years. And I recall seeing about a local missing woman on Channel 13. Jasmine Haslag is her name. And I knew by then uh, what that mother was going through. And I'd heard that there was going to be a search in some field down Highway 94. So I got my car and I took off and I went on there. And sure enough, there was. And I met this woman and her name was Peggy Florence. So Peggy Florence came back to my home with me. And uh, our friend Reve Edwards helped us. And we started. Missouri Missing. Peggy left the organization many years ago. In fact, left the state and everything. And Peggy's daughter, Jasmine Haslag, she's still missing as well. So, um, but that is how Missouri Missing got started. And then later on, a few years later, we were able to get our tax exempt status. And um, we do very well now. And representing Missouri Missing, I've spent quite a lot of years now volunteering with the restorative justice program in the various prisons in Missouri. Algoa and JCCC are my, are the local ones, you know, and JCCC is maximum security. It is my favorite really, but I hold victim panels and I tell the story. I tell Angie's story and I let them know what a victim looks like. The whole idea of the program, which I love this program, I, I love um, the coordinator, the facilitators. They're all um, offenders, but um, they are my brothers. They are. 
And anyway, um, I, I just, um, I've done this for many years and it's very therapeutic. I also, um, the last couple of years until pandemic hit, we uh, started another program and it's called the Betters Intervention Group. Mm. And um, I hold those two. And, I, and in that case, it's a smaller classroom, but I talk about domestic violence to abusers and I try to get them to hear what it's like on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how much that helps or not, but if any of it sinks in and one single guy saw it in a different light and stopped doing that and broke a cycle that probably his father and his father and his father all did, then it would be worth it, you know. How do you uh, get abusers to come to a session? You know, I asked the coordinator of the program. Kevin Yancey is his name. Great guy. And he said that sometimes they suggest it to them. It's something that will help them um, should they go up for parole hearing or something. But I'm not sure if they're, I'm not sure if they're ordered to go or if it's just a suggestion. But I think that it helps them in some way. I don't think that they like hearing what I have to say because I'm not saying that there's no cure for it, but it's a pretty complex issue, you know. Domestic violence is something really important to me, you know, and somehow I survived it and my daughter did not. And we see this in missing persons cases a lot. Uh, especially women, not any age women, actually, but there's a lot of, um, it's a big realm of, of different situations with why people go missing. Domestic violence is one of them. So in your uh, Missouri missing, is there some way that you then, you don't go out and find people, but you advertise for the people that are missing. Is that the role that you play primarily? Yeah, we uh, create a lot of awareness for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I uh, created a flyer two nights ago for a young woman. I haven't looked at it this afternoon, but the last I saw, she had gotten two thousand over 2,000 shares from Missouri Missing page, but other missing people pages, they also take it, they share it, and they get a lot of shares as well. So all in all, many thousands. So hopefully that will create somebody to come forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and we hold last set, uh, Sunday night in Fulton, uh, we had an awareness event for the woman that's gone uh they, they suspect she's been kidnapped. This, she's getting close to two weeks ago now. And it's been on the news a lot. And um, it was terrible weather. But we got a family from St. Louis and um, some of the community people. We got all three TV t- stations. Um, and they all broadcast our event. We had a candlelight vigil for her. I had printed um, a couple hundred uh, flyers for the people to take. Um, stacks of them and post them wherever the grandfather lives in St. Louis. He said he's going to put them up all over around 
Troy, which is outside of St. Louis. So um, we do those sort of things too. Mm-hmm. So how many people do you have on your particular Missouri Missing Facebook page that uh, you made a poster for or a flyer for? Oh my gosh, I don't, hundreds. Okay. Many. And if you go to Missouri Missing's Facebook, if you want to click on photos, there's 12 albums. Well, there's more than 12, but there's 12 monthly albums, and each album contains all of the flyers. And we watch this carefully because when a person's been found, we want to make sure that's deleted. We sure don't want it shared. So, and, you know, even if they're found deceased, that's always sad. However, every single family of the missing will tell you it's the not knowing that's the worst. Mm-hmm. And uh, no matter how bad it is, if you know, it's better than never knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter has been gone over 17 years now, and that's really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, I know people whose loved ones have been gone much longer than that. And the oldest missing persons, when they started keeping record on file of missing in Missouri, started in 1965, and it was from Cape Girardeau. It was a little three-year-old girl named Elizabeth Gill, and she's still missing. Hmm. So that that's the oldest oldest case on file in Missouri. But we have four people on our board. They're all very fantastic. We have two or three uh, volunteers. We're always looking for volunteers, too. And um, we we just do what we can to to, um, to help with this. Because, you know, when Angie went missing, there was not a soul in the world to help me. Nobody. They really didn't know what to do. And over the years, I've learned a lot of a lot of things. We have um, we have suggestions, a, a big page of suggestions that we send to people when the, their person first starts, goes missing. And while we're fix, uh, creating a flyer for them, they can read that. It might help them. We created a, um, a campaign, maybe, maybe more of a program, quite a lot of years ago, almost from the beginning. And it's our hunter awareness program where we ask, uh, we have a flyer, and um, we ask people to be aware of their surroundings, hunters, and outdoors people. I mean, if you see, we say, if you see an old coat laying under a tree and you're out deer hunting, mushroom hunting, anything, just kick it over because you never know. Mm-hmm. We put four different examples of people that have been found that way. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was so successful that the Missouri Conservation Department years ago started including it they slide it in their packets for their hunter safety classes mm-hmm. across the state of Missouri. And the last I ho- heard, they were still doing it. And that, to me, that's a great honor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now, I'm currently hoping it will be a mushroom hunter that will stumble across my daughter's remains. Mm-hmm. In the fall, I'll be hoping it's a deer hunter. I mean, it's better than nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, like I've said for years and years, I literally take a shovel. I, I leave a shovel in my trunk, and I go to her old property and all the surrounding areas, 
and I look for Angie. And um, I'm just never going to stop. They don't like me down there. It's a pretty bad area. It's a very bad area. In fact, uh, I read one Christmas a few years ago that the community of Ivy Bend was the most poverty-stricken in all of Missouri. There's, it's all drugs. It's very poverty-stricken. They they don't like me roaming around down there, but I go anyway because I'm her mother, mm-hmm. and it's my job. And I I get I took and I had billboards put up mm-hmm. for Angie. Mm-hmm. There was a movie came out. It was called Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, a couple right. of years ago. Right. About three years ago, the BBC contacted me and came, spent two days here and did a documentary because they called me the real woman, the the true story of that story. And, you know, the funny thing is in the movie, the girl was named Angela as well. The mother put up billboards. She fought tooth and nail with the police, which to this day I still fight with. And um, I don't know. I never got any money for it, but that was the rumor. But they did do that. And we do, we also got a, a good story on uh, Crime Watch Daily with Chris Hansen. And you can find that on YouTube, too. So that was that was a very nice thing. I mean, I have a throat condition. And um, I have to drink a lot because I don't produce very much saliva from Mm-hmm. Some radiation I had a lot of years ago, you know, with throat cancer. But I still feel it is my duty to keep my mouth open and to speak. And and it's always an honor to get to talk about Angie. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I really appreciate you letting me do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's quite a story. And that, uh, that was quite a movie um, that was portrayed. So you said. Oh, one thing I'd like to point out that I didn't, I didn't blow up, I didn't blow up the police station like that woman did in that movie. I did, I did cuss them out, but I didn't blow up the police station. Now, okay, I want to make that clear. But you did, <laughs> but you did put up some billboards, is what you're saying. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. But you know what? I don't want it to sound as if I'm anti-police. I absolutely am not. I just, I respect police. So many people have so, I just have, and it's not even the agency I'm talking about. It's the detective, the the uh, sheriff, and the DA at that time. They're all gone from there now. But that's who I was handed, and I got a pretty raw deal on that. And, and you know, truly, uh, just like a lot of missing people, um, and she was profiled. Luckily, it wasn't drugs. She wasn't dancing on a stage or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with dancing on a stage. But, you know, they go with that sort of thing. But just the fact that she was an quote-unquote Ivy Bender, they kind of, um, she never stood a chance from the get-go. She just didn't. So So, in the situation of a missing person, one that comes to mind is – the woman up in Columbia that was missing for so long, and finally, I believe her remains were found. And Minji. Yes. Uh huh. I believe that's yes. Uh huh. Yes. So, is it up to each uh, local community police force if it happens in 
say Columbia, that they need to use their resources to do all of the searching or is there or is it the county responsibility or you said you work with you the know when state patrol well, is when they they do they sometimes do when when there's a missing persons report filed that is right then they are entered into the ncic thus every law enforcement agency across the nation can see that that person is a missing person uh, should they look or whatever it, it becomes it's out there now so um it, it just depends on case by case what they do but i know that one county unless they ask the other county for help the other county is not going to just step in but if they ask for help but it's very rare that they'll ask for help i'm sorry but i think it's an ego thing i do if it's something that's oh, way out there fbi might invite themselves and i i can't imagine them turning that down yeah i don't know exactly how that goes but i know that like i got an amber alert for instance it's um well they have across the county their state by state uh, criteria that they do but i think that they're all in on it together on that and um you know a lot of people they don't know why everybody doesn't get an amber alert the reason they don't is because they've got their criteria, and if everybody got one, it wouldn't it wouldn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. You know, people would just be too used to it. So, you know, it's kind of like I don't know. I guess I'm kind of getting off course, but it's kind of like when I hear, and I hear it every single day, and often it's law enforcement. They use the term "runaway." We don't use the term runaway. Uh, I prefer endangered missing child. That is what they are. And if you just say runaway, it, it's, it minimizes the danger these children are in. Mm-hmm. And you know, human traffic is only second to drug trafficking in the world. And it has surpassed arms trafficking now. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as those children hit the street, they're in trouble. So. They're endangered missing children. They're not merely runaways. Even if they did run away of their own accord, I'd like to banish that that um, term. Mm-hmm. But that's a, kind of a personal thing. So <laughs> when uh, a missing person is young, like a teenager, is there a, a different kind of coordination uh, that takes place like you, you mentioned the word that you don't like, runaway, and uh-huh. are they categorized differently by the county or the uh, the state? They're pretty much they're pretty much handled the same. Often, though, when I find when I'm talking to a family and they say their child is 17, I'm looking in the juveniles for that name. I want to make sure that they're listed. Therefore, I know that a file. Uh, a case ha- um, has been fi- um, report has been filed, but sometimes I find that 17-year-old in the adults, and they really are 17, should still be a juvenile to me. But mm-hmm. I think they um, they handle them pretty much the same. And is there a, a cross reference with a is there a sex trafficking division uh, that has a a different role? I'm just trying to see if there's coordination between 
like Missouri missing and and I'm not really sure of that we do know a lot of people uh, that's in uh, um, Columbia, for instance, Nanette Ward. She heads up the Mid Missouri or Mid Missouri um, Human Trafficking. It's called. Um, she's a great speaker. We've had her many times, um, and I've gone to many of their meetings and uh, their functions. And they've come to my uh, hours, but um, sex trafficking is one of the traffickings. But there's there's labor trafficking. There's all kinds of human trafficking, hmm. but primarily, you know, we're looking at sex trafficking for uh, younger people, younger, not just girls either. There's boys too. You know, um, one of our um, board members, her husband went missing and he was labor trafficked. And so that happens, but um, yeah. Well, can you explain that just a little more? I, I've never heard that phrase before. Labor, labor draft. It's big. You know, it, it's, there's a, several different ways it can be. Um, most common, though, I would say is domestic help, serv servitude type, housekeepers, nannies from other countries. They're, they're offered to come here and, um, and be maids or even um, hotel maids. There's all kinds of businesses um, that hire these kind of people that come and then they get here and they have no way to get out of it. They don't pay them. They, they pretty much trap them and they're stuck. And, you know, I learned from Nanette Ward. I learned a lot from her actually on trafficking. Even, you know, there's times that young people come to your door and they're selling magazines to go on some trip or something. Some of them, they're trafficked. They're being trafficked. Hmm. They're dropped off. You know, they don't keep that money. They're they're stuck with these people and they're being trafficked. Hmm. There are even panhandlers out there that are trafficked these days. Not all. I see them and I don't look at any of them like, I mean, in my mind, I don't see that, but I know that it happens to some of them as well. Hmm. But a lot of a lot of um, maids in nice homes, they're, um, they're trafficked. And you know, it used to be the third leading trafficking in the world, but it surpassed arms trafficking now. It's only second to drug trafficking. The, you're yeah. talking about labor trafficking or sex trafficking? Now? All, all tra human trafficking in oh, general. just human trafficking. Human trafficking, yeah. yeah. But most people just think of a sex trafficking, which is, I, I think, probably the pretty much the biggest I know I know lots of people over the years that I've heard speak and everything, and they are survivors of sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And um, now they they are out and they are teaching how that happened. And most of them, they ran away. They got, you know, they met up with someone after a few days. They saw it was pretty tough out there, and here comes someone. Oh, you could be a model, and let's get you some new clothing and this, that, and the other, and bang, well, you know it, they're captive, and mm -hmm. and it's very violent what their their lives are, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So back to uh, Missouri Missing, are you aware of uh, what either counties or towns have the highest numbers of missing juveniles? I don't have, mm-hmm. have it in front of me, but usually the urban areas, of course, because mm-hmm. they're bigger. But um, we see a lot from um, Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Seems like more than St. Louis even, but it just varies too. It just does, you know. If someone wanted yeah. to look up the numbers, do, what do do they go to your website, momissing.org, or do they go to a state website to see numbers? They of- could uh, they could see uh, they could go to Missouri Missing, or they could go to uh, the Missouri State Highway Patrol's Missing Persons Unit. Okay, um, and I've got that number right off the top of my head, but they have a clearinghouse. And you just, you go to the Missouri State Highway Patrol and you look under missing people and there's a clearinghouse and they divide them between the um, adults and the juveniles. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where you got the numbers uh, early in the show of. Yes. Every day I check. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I could every day. But, you know, we've been very fortunate. We've always um, had a, re- a really good rapport with them. You know, um, every June, except last June, by the way, we hold uh, Missouri Missing's big annual event, the Missing and Unidentified annual event every June. We have uh, families from across the state come to Jefferson City, spend the weekend, and we hold it at Memorial Park the last few years. We used to do it at the Capitol, but now we do it in the park. And um, they all, and we have speakers and we have tables set up. Um, the Highway Patrol's Missing Persons Unit always sets up a table with us. We also uh, have uh, Na- National Missing and Exploited Children. Um, a representative from Springfield, Missouri comes and sets up a table with us as well and various others. But um, they've always been very good to us and um, we sure do appreciate that too mm-hmm. you know over the years when we first started and we were just a grassroots um, little organization I can recall calling an agency to check on something for a family or um, get a, a case number or something or another and I remember in the very beginning feeling almost as if I was being treated like I was I've had some little club or some little hobby or something, right? But uh, we've kept um, real solid foundation. We don't do a lot of drama and we don't do anything all spectacular. We just stay with what's real. And over the years now, I, I never feel disrespected, no matter who I call. And in fact, sometimes they called me and asked me, can you put out a flyer for this person? And so that's a very good thing for us, you know. Very good. Is the best thing that uh, people listening can do to help your non-for-profit organization to donate money? Uh, you did mention that volunteers are also appreciated. I don't. I guess that would have to be in what in in Holt Summit. Would they volunteer or, or where did people need to be? from anywhere they wanted to volunteer, anywhere at all, especially if they were local, you know, they could help us with our 
um, event. And by the way, this year we're gonna we had we canceled just like everybody else did last year, and it was the first time ever. And this would be this uh, that would have been our thirteenth or fourteenth annual. But anyway, this year we're going to have it on, only for the first time ever. We're going to do it in September because we feel that maybe even a couple more months we would add, have added security that maybe it'll be a little bit brighter for us. Every single year we've gotten a proclamation proclaiming that that day is Missouri Missing and Unidentified Persons Awareness Day. Um, the last two years we've applied for a proclamation for the month of June declaring it as such. We actually got it last June too, but we just couldn't hold the event because of you know the pandemic. So this year we will, I'm sure, get one. And we're going to go for the month of September. And um, so, but anyway, we get um, a lot of people come, and we have wonderful speakers. We have a raffle. You know, I volunteer with the restorative justice program. Therefore. If I need something to raffle, they will, they make things. Uh, Jefferson City Correctional Center, those guys, they do sewing. They make quilts for us. Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is ask. And they, every year they'll give me a couple quilts. They have some beautiful artists in there as well. They'll give me a painting on a canvas if I ask for it. Mm -hmm. That one of the vendors did there. It's beautiful. I don't know what they're doing in there with such wonderful artistic abilities, but, um, and then Algoa, they do woodwork and um, they will make us things from wood. And all I do is go pick the things up. We raffle these things off and that's helps, you know, we take donations. We, we live on donations. And um, for the past few years, it's been my great honor to get to go um, in April, every April, it is a national observance and it's the National uh, Crime uh, Victims' Rights Week. So I've been to different prisons, um, Vandalia Women's Prison, Tipton Prison and all, and I've been invited to be their keynote speaker. They do um, ceremonies for that week for victims' rights. And so I go and I speak to these people and it's big auditorium full of people and they in turn will donate to Missouri Missing you know a pretty good donation I would do it for free I I started when I started going to the prisons I never dreamed that they would donate it didn't even occur to me and if they'd never donated again I would still always go because I value that but so um, you know little donations here and there you know, we have whole birthday things and stuff. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating to uh, learn about these. There, there's one area that I'm still a little fuzzy on, and that's the restorative justice work <laughs> that goes on. Uh, and you said that there are people in prison that have committed crimes that then are brought to uh, yeah, face to face with some victims. Is that the way you described it? So on the a restorative justice program on the victim panels, you know, there's the coordinator that works there 
And then he has facilitators. They help facilitate all the classes. And they're, um, and the facilitators are offenders. And some of them I've known for years and years. And like I said, I adore them. I, I, I call them my brothers. I do not look down on these people. And they adore me too. One time uh, I said something. See, every time I go, I have a new classroom of students there. Mm. But the facilitators, they're always there too. Mm. And they've heard the story many times, but the new guys haven't. But one time, one of the facilitators said, I said something about Angie's story. And they said, well, you could go clear across the yard and every guy over there could tell that story better than you can. They know it so well. <laughs> so it makes me just feel really good. You know, Angie was absolute inspiration for uh, co-founding Missouri Missing. She really was. And so um, it just every time I go into one of these facilities, I always whisper, this is for you, Angie. Mm -hmm. It is, you know. And um, so... Then the batterers intervention groups, they're not restorative justice. That's a separate thing. It's relatively new. We'd only been doing it about a year. I look forward to these things picking up again, hopefully mm -hmm. in the near future. Mm -hmm. So uh, the National Crime Victims Rights Week, um, we missed two years now. It just went by last, it's in April. So I'm thinking next April for sure. Mm -hmm. It'll be good. I don't, you know. Do you have so, uh, a uh, do you have a weekend picked out in September for your? Uh, it will be the 18th, Saturday the 18th, okay. and it's going to be at Memorial Park. It's pretty much all day. It's from it's from 11 to 5. Okay. We always get it up on the Coca Cola sign, you know the very coveted Coca Cola sign, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I always make sure that is listed in the community events, mm -hmm. you know, in the newspaper here. Mm -hmm. And um, it's going to be odd doing it in September, but um, uh, we don't have, we have a uh, save the date flyer, but we don't have the official one yet as we don't have the speakers in line completely yet, but we will get that. We usually have somebody from the highway patrol troop F, Somebody's always so nice to us out there. I, I really like those guys. And um, and we will have somebody with um, with trafficking mm -hmm. and just various ones. And then families that come. I know so many of these people. And um, they come and often they get up and they speak of their person. Mm -hmm. And we get, you know, I've worked many, many times with um Parents of Murdered Children organization as well. And I partnered with them time and time again, too. And hopefully they will be there this year, too. So, Well, there's quite a, a number of organizations that do intertwine or mesh together. But there really is. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the National uh, Crime Victims' Rights Week like I said, the prisons weren't open and everything. However, la and last year it didn't happen, but this year, last month, the, um, the sheriff's department, downtown Jefferson City, held 
uh, an event. And I've, I've been to a couple of them before, and I went to this one too. And they had a group there, and they were bikers for babies. And they were there, and it was about child abuse, not necessarily missing children, but I uh, made sure and talked to them, gave them my card, took their card, and I'm hoping they will come set up a table too uh, at our event. I think any community-minded um, advocacy that helps people, I would love to have every one of them there. It's a big place. We have room, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I hope that they, these guys, I'm going to badger them and try to get them there because wouldn't it be good to have all these motorcycles sitting out there too come on you know you can't go wrong so <laughs> yeah good. they i was very impressed by them they're just very nice you know Wonderful. good deal yeah. well marianne asher chapman thank you so much uh we've learned a lot we'll uh, make sure that we post some of these dates uh, with the program when it goes up on uh, Facebook and at KOPN's uh, website. So, Wait, uh, well, you know, that it is called, it, it is um, the event, our annual event is Missouri, Mi Missouri's Missing and, and Unidentified Persons Awareness Day. That's the name of it. All right. And I think this will be our 15th annual. I'm pretty sure it's the 15th annual. We'll, we missed last year. We'll get the name right. So thank you again, Marianne. And uh, thank you for having me. It's very nice talking to you. I love seeing you out there on Wednesday. Well, you take good care. Uh, take care of your throat. You and, too, Dick. Uh, you have a lot of and thank you speaking coming up. Okay. Thank you for having me. My thank pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. See you <laughs> on Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Bye bye. And friends, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. So please, leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.